0: Hello and welcome to the latest Lancet podcast. I'm Richard Lane and it's Thursday, March the 28th. And this week we're revisiting the very important clinical and global health question concerning the use of cesarean section. You may recall we featured this in an extended podcast back in October when the Lancet published its C-section series. This week we're looking at a paper that we're publishing today, as I say, March the 28th, and this is looking specifically at the use and the risks of C-section in low-income and middle-income countries. I'm delighted to be joined on the line by one of the authors of this important paper.
1: I am Professor Shakila Tangratina. I am based at Queen Mary University of London and I work within BART's Research Centre for Women's Health. We are also part of WHO Collaborating Centre here in UK.
0: Thank you very much for joining us. Shaquille, your study, what prompted it? And up until the current study, which you're going to explain to us, how much do we know about the use of and the safety of C-section in low-income and middle-income settings?
1: Sure. every year, 300,000 mothers die during or shortly after childbirth. And 99% of these mothers are from low- and middle-income countries. And we know that... Uh, providing universal access to caesarean infection is a life-saving procedure which could have saved many of these lives. But what we want to know is how safe is caesarean infection, because until now we have got some estimates which show the rates are high, but we do not have comprehensive numbers across the various geographical regions whether it varies by income status, has it changed over the years, does it vary across the setting? So these are things we didn't know. What we also didn't know was what about those babies who are born by cesarean infection? What are the risks of these babies dying? And more importantly, what are the risk factors for complications in mother's that could either be death or other serious complications, because that will help us to plan interventions in the future. And that's the rationale behind us
0: in doing this work. Shakira, can you go on and, and describe to us the, the clinical challenges of, of actually doing C-sections in resource-poor settings, in low-income and middle-income settings? Can you give a snapshot of, of some, some common, but maybe also some contrasting situations clinically that, that make C-sections such a difficult area? The
1: problem in low- and middle-income settings is twofold. Either they are done too little and too late, or we have too many cesarean sections done too soon. And it's not always a black and white. It's not that certain countries have this too little, too late, always, and others are doing too many. We also have some countries where there is a combination of both practices. But if you look at the too little and too late, you see about two-thirds of the low- and middle-income countries have rates of severe infections that are quite low. Previous studies have shown that the cesarean section rate of at least 10 to 15 percent in the population is needed for mothers to enjoy the benefits of the procedure. So too low a procedure is not good, and too high a procedure is also not good because that can also increase the rate of complications. So, what are the challenges if you look at too little cesarean sections? That can the challenges start right before they actually come to have a cesarean section. Firstly, they may not have access. This could be they, don't, they are in far-fetched areas, they don't have an infrastructure or transport and takes days for them to reach a facility. There may not be any healthcare facility in the vicinity. And even if there is, there may not be people there who are actually skilled and equipped to do the procedure. And even if they can do the procedure, they don't have the resources to deal with complications. And, and on top of it, the antenatal care itself is quite patchy. And we see a lot of this in sub-Saharan Africa. And during the cesarean infection, it also depends on the training of the surgeon, the anesthetist, the theater staff, and particularly after the baby is born, what resuscitation support is there in such a setting? Is there any uh, system in place to manage complications? Is there a facility to provide blood transfusion? detect sepsis early, manage sepsis early. So, so the, the problems start because of poor resources, and very often because a care is rationed, it's going to be the sickest moms who end up having a cesarean section. And because they're sick to start with, unfortunately, we do lose them. Yeah. So on the contrary, if you look at regions such as Latin America, so their rates of cesarean sections are high that some countries as high as 45%. So uh, here the problems are slightly different. It could be uh, a lack of information um, for the parents, maybe they, they are requesting cesarean infection, or there is a tendency to go ahead with cesarean infection very soon in labor. And also could be uh, lowering of the skills in instrumental deliveries, which could have avoided cesarean infections, but clearly second stage cesarean sections when uh, the mother is fully dilated. Uh, Too many cesarean sections also could result in all of these complications. And so the challenge is how do we actually increase the rates sufficient enough that you get good outcomes, but also avoid the rates going beyond an optimal number.
0: Thank you. That's very articulately said and, and resonates with the discussion we had when we discussed the C section series and the Lancet last October, uh, where we weren't focused so much on, on, on the low income countries, but certainly Latin America and the Caribbean with the very high rates was mentioned then. So that is interesting. Tell us about the methodology here, because of course what you're doing here is, is a meta analysis. So you're looking at the available evidence in the literature and pooling data. Tell us about the methodology just briefly.
1: So what we did, Richard, was we systematically searched available literature in all databases without any language restrictions, and we started in 1990 because we didn't want to go far back because outcomes, of course, uh, were much uh, worse before 1990. Then once we found the studies, we included studies that were from low- and middle-income settings. We obtained data of women who underwent caesarean infection and looked at the outcomes. And then we pooled the outcomes through meta-analysis to obtain what we call summary estimates. And what we also looked at was we wanted to see, do the rates of caesarean infection vary according to the geographical region, according to the income status of the country, according to the quality of the studies? did they vary before 2000 to after 2000? Onto the setting was it primary care, secondary care, tertiary care? So we looked at various subgroups that we planned beforehand to see do these risk factors, these complications
0: vary according to these different subgroups? Tell us about the results. Were they surprising? Just from my naive standpoint, certainly compared to to more mature health systems, the rates in low income countries look. Very, very high. Tell us about results and, and was there much contrast between different settings in LMICS?
1: We did expect higher rates of both maternal deaths as well as perinatal deaths, that's death of a baby either in utero, inside the mother's tummy, or a week after delivery. But we were actually staggered to find the numbers, the, the burden of this problem. So we found for every thousand mothers who are undergoing cesarean section in low and middle income countries, eight died. And if you particularly look at sub-Saharan Africa, we lost one mother for every hundred mothers who underwent cesarean section. And to answer a question in comparison to countries such as UK, this is a hundredfold increase in maternal death following cesarean section. It is actually mind-blowing. And what we also found was there was variation. So Sub-Saharan Africa did the worst. Low-income countries did worse than middle-income countries. We found the complications, maternal death was high in tertiary units, but we are not able to taste that out. It could be that the sickest moms ended up coming to the tertiary units and then died. But what we found was there was no change in the reduction in maternal mortality following caesarean section over the years, there's no significant differences between these maternal deaths before 2000 and after 2000. So if you look at perinatal deaths, that's death of baby in utero or a week after delivery, for every 100 mothers who underwent caesarean section, 8 babies died. And if you look at sub-Saharan Africa, 1 in 10 babies died following a caesarean section. Extremely, extremely huge numbers and of significant concern. In 5% of women who undergo cesarean infection, stillbirths was reported. And in sub-Saharan Africa, in 8% of mothers who undergo cesarean infection, uh, stillbirths were reported. Uh, so until now, we actually didn't know the extent of the fetal and neonatal mortality in mothers undergoing cesarean infection. And I I suppose it's a reflection of the lack of resuscitation facilities or the lack of anti-COVID, there are various factors that could account for this. But these are uh, significant uh, numbers highlighting the burden of the problem. So we also looked at the risk factors for maternal death as well as complications. And we found that mothers who were undergoing emergency cesarean section, that's an unplanned section in labor, had a two-fold increased risk of dying than those undergoing an elective cesarean section. And significantly, when the cesarean section was done in second stage, that's in full dilatation, much, much advanced in labor, the risk of mothers dying were increased twelve fold compared to doing the cesarean section early on in labour, and he found the similar rates for perinatal death, the risk of losing a baby up to a week of delivery was nine times higher when cesarean section was done in the second stage of labour
0: thank you that's an important point, isn't it then so Um, Clearly, one of the clinical messages coming out of this is that a a decision to to do C-section late in labour is associated with a much increased risk.
1: Absolutely, and and the factors could be various. It could be the mother was in labour for a long time and therefore she had to travel quite some distance in obstructed labour and by the time the procedure was done, it was a very difficult procedure with a known risk of severe bleeding. It could also be because there is a gap in skills training in instrumental delivery, such as forceps, and that could have avoided some of the second-stage cesarean infections. I think we need more information to actually find out what actually contributed uh, to the increase in maternal and perinatal deaths during second-stage cesarean infection. Importantly, Richard, what we also found was the risks of mother, uh, mothers dying following a cesarean infection did not vary if the operator was a non-physician or a physician. And that's promising because it shows that with adequate training, you don't need to always rely on a physician to carry out the procedure. And so that is a place for task-shifting and appropriate training here.
0: some Really important results. And that last point, particularly fascinating, because, of course, we've got to move this on and now say, where do we go from here? I know we don't have all the solutions, but clearly your research has highlighted some very important salient points that you've just articulated so well. What are the next steps?
1: The next steps, Richard, I think we need prioritization. By that, I mean resource investment, a policy focus on obstetric surgery and how to make it safer, and that fits in with uh, Lancet's Commission on Global Surgery and WHO's ongoing efforts on having caesarean section as an integral part of emergency obstetric care. So we need to increase the access to caesarean section, as because we know that countries with poor access do the worst. This could be in the form of infrastructure, in the referral pathways, so that's one area that needs to be focused. The second one is to make the procedure itself safe, and that can be through improved training. We found there's a role for task shifting, so training non-physicians could be one way. Also providing support to theater staff, anesthetists, we know that general anesthesia increases the rate of maternal death, and providing additional support systems. So you need a blood bank, you need training to manage massive oxygen hemorrhage, but also the the resources to actually deal with these complications. And thirdly, you need good resuscitation skills, equipment, and training to reduce the perinatal death rate that we've been observing. And of course, in countries with high rates of cesarean infection, there needs to be a focus on decision making prior to a cesarean infection to look at each woman as an individualized person to see is this a point in which you're going to go for a cesarean infection before diagnosing failure to progress and labor and also improving the skills in instrumental deliveries so that could that has the potential to reduce the number of second stage cesarean sections?
0: Final question Shakira we must draw it to a close. A big question and again realize we may not have the answers you've just articulated how. It's put the poorest countries with the poor, the sickest mothers, where the health systems are the weakest. I'm generalising, of course, are where the greatest problems lie. Based on what you've just said, are there sufficient resources within these weak health systems to provide the modification and training and skills reorientation? That is required, or is it still important for you know donor funding programs, international aid? Does that still have a factor, or should we now be looking at even in, in the weakest health systems? This is something that should be funded by ministries of health.
1: I think Richard should. We need to look at the country by country and region by region, because it's not one size fits all. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, in the same country, you have areas of low access as well as high access. So we need to look at what is the underlying rate of cesarean infection. And more importantly, why is cesarean infection being done in these places? And why are we having more of second cesarean infection? And then it helps to target efforts on those risk factors and for those conditions that are known to increase the risk of maternal death. For example, we know that postpartum hemorrhage, heavy bleeding following delivery of the baby, that could be due to a difficult surgery that's a traumatic postpartum hemorrhage, or it could be an atonic where the uterus doesn't contract. It would be helpful to implement WHO safe surgery checklist, but also take into account that these surgeries are done for the in section and in the second stage and to ensure that everyone is aware of the potential complications to make sure there are facilities for management of massive obstetric hemorrhage. So these are the efforts... That can be put in, but we need to know why the cesarean infections are being done, so we need better reporting. We need even more information on the underlying rates of stillbirths and perinatal deaths that is still very, very patchily reported across the countries. And then, of course, to work together with major donors and health systems to implement a policy at every level, starting right from antenatal care to actually accessing the tertiary care if needed for complications following cesarean section.
0: Well, a really fascinating study. Good luck with all your future work. Shakila Tangaratanam, many thanks indeed for talking to The Lancet.
1: Well, welcome, Richard. The pleasure is all mine.